Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. So as I mentioned, I'm excited to be back in the saddle after five weeks away. And Pastor Derek and I were talking and he asked for me at the beginning of our sermon to abbreviate the sermon today and then to share a little bit with you guys about how I've been carrying the culture of redeeming hope, carrying the tools that we're using um, actually literally across the world to the continent of Africa and just really teaching classes, but also really teaching some of our discipleship models, some of our systems here at Redeeming Hope and helping other people um, get a chance to experience a little taste of what Redeeming Hope is like. So this isn't just Josh went on a missions trip um, to Africa. This is actually us carrying the vision of our church to another continent and helping them see and experience a little bit about what we get to experience on a week-to-week basis. And so it's just a little bit more than a mission strip. It's really carrying redeeming hope and the vision and the discipleship of us and what we've um, incorporated here in Clarksville to the world. So, um, uh, you know, uh, from the inception of our church, the, the heart has been of a missionary. I've had a heart of a missionary. Rachel's had the heart of a missionary. And our goal is that every member of Redeeming Hope is a missionary and every environment is a mission field. And we have an actual model or a principle of how we should approach mission from Acts 1.8. And it says these words. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Jerusalem was where the initial Christians were started. This is Jesus was speaking to them right before his, his followers, right before he ascends back into heaven. And they all go back to Jerusalem. So every Christian on the earth, right after Jesus ascended into heaven, was in one city. That's Jerusalem. And then we see in Judea and Samaria, they're the surrounding regions of Jerusalem, just on the outskirts. And then the ends of the earth is, of course, the ends of the earth. And so uh, we, as a church, take our model of mission from this idea, local, regional, and global. And so for us as a church, this is a good opportunity for us to share about what we believe about mission. And you see, locally, um, we devote a certain percentage of our tithes, the income that our church receives, towards benevolence. And so that's to take care of people that have needs, especially within our church body, not exclusively, but especially within our church body. So we've also gotten, um, there's just a knack that I've had for years to be able to find free cars. Um, this isn't an invitation for every person to message me that needs a free car, but as, as the Holy Spirit has brought up some needs within our body, I've been able to call and find free or cheap cars for people. We've done that pretty significantly. Our church partners with people for counseling support as well. We send people to counseling and pay for a couple of their counseling sessions. And then we also are reaching business leaders um, within our community, with the immediate community of our church. Um, uh, I partner with an organization called Leadership Clarksville. We've done some work with Habitat for Humanity. We have a strong relationship with nonprofits in our city. And so um, we seek to, through the Ministry of Redeeming Hope, have a local presence in Sango and in Clarksville. Um, not only that, but we want to have a regional presence. Um, I actually devote part of my time to coach and mentor other church planters. Um, We've actually, as a church, paid 
for multiple church planters um, paid their way to come to Clarksville on vision trips to see if maybe they should be planting here in Clarksville because we want to support church planting as well. We actually give our part of our income away to church planting. We actually give 13% of our income goes towards church planting directly, like directly supporting other church planters who received the funding that our church received for the first three years that we started. And so we significantly support church planting regionally, both in the middle Tennessee area, as well as in the United States. And then also, uh, by God's grace, both Derek and I um, just have a ministry where we love on pastors and and we don't seek to build um, uh, relationships with pastors that are transactional. We want our relationships with other pastors to just be free form um, friendships. And so we meet consistently with multiple pastors a month to pray with them and really support them and encourage them and befriend other pastors. And And uh, they have been, I think, blessed, especially by Derek's input in their ministry. And um, we just, Derek and I have a, a ministry that's more private, um, but we have a ministry to pastors in our area. And that's something that we just really find a joy in. So that's kind of our regional support for missionary work. And like I said, we give 13% of our income um, immediately goes out the door towards supporting other churches. And then finally, um, we have an international presence. So we support missionaries and church planners in Poland, um, uh, Andrew and Miranda Brothers. And then we also support um, Josh and Ashley Freeman in Togo, Africa, and then we also support missionaries with one-time gifts. And so to explain, that explains a little bit about Redeeming Hope and our philosophy of ministry. It's, it's, it's local, it's regional, it's global. We believe in it, we support it. And so much so that um, by God's grace, you know, Derek and I talked about this and we're in agreement and, and Derek so graciously was supportive of, of me going to Africa for a month. And Rachel was supportive of me going to Africa for a month with a three-month-old baby at home. And uh, my in-laws actually flew in to take care of baby Autumn uh, as, as Rachel was still working full time. And so, you know, there's a lot of people that were supporting this past month. And I just want to share with you a little bit about what God did. So, so, uh, to go back, this missionary that we're supporting in Togo, Africa, um, they have seen about 10,000 people come to faith in Jesus over the past 10 years. And, uh, just an amazing vision to plant churches. The problem is they've got so many people coming to faith so quickly and the need for churches is so great that sometimes you'll have pastors of churches that have only been Christians for a year or two, or maybe even less than that. And so they're not theologically trained. Now, it's not practical to take Togolese pastors who speak French, don't speak English, to uproot them and bring them to America or to a European country to receive theological training. That would be too expensive, and there's just a, not a good return on investment. And so the idea is that this ministry in Africa, it's called the Six Degree Initiative, um, wants to start a seminary in Togo to train Togolese pastors. And here's the vision for that. The vision is in 10 years, that seminary is completely self-sustained by other Togolese pastors. So right now, what we need to do is get pastors through the undergraduate degree and through a master's degree. And then what we do is we develop the curriculum. So we have a list of classes. And then when the class needs to get taught, guys like me contribute time and energy to writing a Bible college or seminary level curriculum. Then we go out there and teach it. And it gets translated into French. 
And then it goes kind of in a little bank of just curriculum that gets built in French, translated in French. And the idea is that we raise up enough Togolese pastors to go through an undergraduate degree and then a master's degree so that those Togolese pastors can begin to teach at the seminary. And then we've already written the curriculum for them. So when they graduate with their master's degree, they say, hey, here's a part-time job as a professor, and here's a stack of curriculum that you can teach that's already translated into French, because ultimately we want Togolese pastors training Togolese pastors. It's not the best for me to go out there as an American to have to learn their culture and then try to teach them. It's actually best that Togolese pastors are theologically trained and can train their fellow Togolese pastors. So the vision is in 10 years, we work ourselves out of a job and we're already starting to do that. So we're seeing at the very beginning of this 10-year process to raise up pastors who are also theologians who then can teach their fellow countrymen. So last year I went out and taught a class on missiology and church planting. And that went really well and they invited me to come back. And so this year, I did a class on discipleship, and I actually took some of our model of discipleship and our philosophy that we've formed here at Redeeming Hope, and I took that to Africa. And oh my gosh, they, they caught to it like a fish in water. They loved three questions. Um, we started to do three questions together in the, at the beginning of the class every day. And then after two or three days, then I would invite the pastors to come up and facilitate three questions. Then by the end of the class, I wasn't even speaking. And they were just taking three questions and running with it. Uh, we talked about our Bible reading plan, which I passed off to them. And they're beginning to use in Togo. And then at the end of the class, I had my students do a final project on discipleship. And then they started to implement that just weeks later in their church. So I had them do a class on discipleship. Uh, presentation on discipleship at the end of the class. And then literally I got word that a week later, one of the pastors was already taking what he learned in the class and starting to implement that in his church. And it was just amazing. His name is Pastor Alex, and um, he's a pastor of one of the key churches in this missionary effort, who's also planted multiple churches out of his church. And he's already taking what we learned and is passing on to his congregation. So this is an area of strength for our church, discipleship, I think. And we've passed that on and are passing that on to other churches uh, around the world. It's, it's really kind of amazing. So as I was planning this trip, the people in Togo also heard of a seminary, similar vision that's happening in the Congo, which is about a three-hour flight away in Central Africa. So I began to talk with them. What well, just so happens that they need a class on missiology and church planting a week after my class on discipleship ends in Togo. And I already developed the class on missiology and church planting and taught it last year in Togo. Everything's already translated into French. I've already taught the class. And so last year. And so it just so happens that they needed that class. The, like literally my class in Togo ended on a Friday and the class in the Congo that was already scheduled to start, they did not have a professor for was scheduled on a Monday. So you can see, we just felt like God was sovereignly leading us, uh, leading me to go there and, and extend my trip in Africa yet another week. And so Rachel, again, was very gracious. Um, talked to Derek, said, could I stay another week? And he said, yes, absolutely. Um, raised some additional money and then also was able to go out there and taught that class. It was just a three-hour flight. 
So I had about 15 students in Togo over two weeks. I was able to not only teach the class for them, translate the curriculum in French, but raise some additional money to buy them a French book. And that book costs about uh, half of their monthly wage that they earn um, is what one of those books cost. And so I was able to give them something that was the equivalent of like thousands of dollars to them um, at the end of the class as a thank you for their participation. And um, I think I've been showing some pictures on the background here. And one of those pictures is them holding up those books. So that was really special, amazing. Then hopped on a plane, went to Congo, um, taught there for a week, taught two different classes, a class in the morning and a class in the evening, same curriculum. Uh, and that was able to, I had about 75 students there. It's about 45 in the morning and then about 30 at night. And so they already want me to come back and we're already planning on some trips for me to go away in 2023. We're in the conversation now. So um, one of the things that I talked about both in my discipleship class in Togo and my missiology and church planting class in the Congo is this phrase is that the church does not have a mission. I don't know if I've taught this at Redeeming Hope yet, but the church does not have a mission. God's mission has a church. So our church does not have a mission. It's God's mission and God's mission has a church. And what we see is that the center of our activity is not us, and it's not our church and trying to advance our vision. The center of our activity needs to be Jesus. And it's actually God's activity towards the world that we then get an opportunity to partner with. And we're going to see today in Mark 3, there's this like incredible blending of giving you an update on Togo and the Congo, and then also giving you um, the continuing on in our sermon series. It's because what we're going to see is that God's people have God's authority to accomplish God's purposes for the advancement of God's kingdom. That's what we're talking about today. God's people have God's authority to accomplish God's purposes for the advancement of God's kingdom. And the idea of God's kingdom is, is actually Jesus's rule and reign in the world. So Jesus is ruling and reigning over the world right now. We're going to look at a passage from Colossians 1 that talks about how he holds the universe together by the word of his power. But yet also the authority of King Jesus is not yet fully expressed, right? Uh, because if Jesus was fully reigning in full authority, then there would be no sickness, no death, there would be no pain, no suffering. But there's still suffering and pain and death in this world because God's kingdom is expanding. And he has chosen to do this. He's chosen to say that his kingdom has come, but his kingdom is not yet fully expressed in the world. And so we have an opportunity as God's people to join in his mission to advance his rule and his reign across the universe. And that's what it means to join with God on his mission. See, the church of God does not have a mission. God's mission has a church. And we're going to see about this idea of authority and joining and following Jesus to advance his mission here in Mark chapter 3. So we're going to be in Mark 3. Um, there's going to be four points. We're going to talk about how the crowd comes to Jesus. We're going to talk about the authority and the power of King Jesus. We're going to talk about how the disciples partner with King Jesus on mission. And finally, God's mission is both redemptive and mysterious. So let's begin to look at how the crowds are coming to follow after Jesus in Mark 3, starting in verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem 
and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan, and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all he was doing, they came to him, and they told his disciples, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him, because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. So we see here, these crowds are seeing Jesus heal people. And they're seeing his rule and his reign. When you are under the rule and reign of King Jesus, healing happens. Um, Wholeness happens. Peace happens. And when God's kingdom is being seen through Jesus and his activity, even when people do not understand it, they are drawn to it. See, these people are just thinking they're coming to Jesus. Some people are coming to Jesus for so many different reasons, and not all of them are good. Some people were coming to Jesus because he was casting out demons. He had spiritual power, and he was giving strong spiritual teachings. So they're coming to Jesus for his spiritual power and his authority over the forces of darkness. Some people were coming to Jesus because they were hungry. Like they heard, hey, this guy like feeds people, you know, like unlimited amounts of food sometimes. He has a couple fish and some loaves, and he's breaking them apart. And all of a sudden, 5,000 people get fed. Well, hey, I'm hungry. And so some people are coming to Jesus for physical things, like he, he, like healing or food um, or seeing their physical needs being met. Some people are following Jesus because of his direct invitation. And we see in the book of Matthew and in Luke, we see other um, uh, books of the Bible where Jesus explicitly calls his disciples. And we're going to see that here in a minute. Some people are following Jesus because he invites them specifically to follow him. And some people are following Jesus because they honestly thought that he was the Messiah. Like they thought this is the one to come. And they were following him because of who they believed that he was. So this has a principle, I think, for us as a church. As we're partnering with God on mission, as we're trying to plant redeeming hope here in Clarksville and see our church grow, is that it's not our job to manipulate or control our growth as a church. Now that's coming from someone who wants our church to grow and often laments that we have not grown as fast as I want it to be, right? I want it yesterday and last week. Um, But the idea is that that's the nature of being a church planter and a starter of new things is you kind of want everything yesterday. But I think God is teaching me and actually through Derek Wise counsel has been teaching me that we wanna grow from the Lord. We want growth that's from God. We don't want to manipulate or try to control our growth. We want to live underneath the authority of King Jesus. And that means that we want to be people of integrity. We want to model good integrity with how we grow our church and with how our church grows. This means that we want to have people who are committed to personally abiding with Jesus. Like we want you to genuinely be committed to Christ when you come to our church or genuinely be exploring who Jesus is, right? Wherever you are on your journey, we're here for you. But we want to help you take in the next step towards Jesus, which is actually the definition of discipleship. And we want to be people that are also committed to community. We want to have people that are consistently committed to joining our groups and coming to our gatherings. And so as we do that, our growth, might be slower, but I think it's going to be better in the long run. And so we see that many people are coming to Jesus for many different reasons. And they, some want food. Some are coming to him because of his spiritual power. Some are coming because of invitation. Some people are coming because they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And in all of those, 
he's encouraging them to grow in their faith in him. And so we want to encourage people, wherever you are, to grow in your faith in Jesus. And we want to grow well as a church. And that might mean we grow slower. Not necessarily. Invite your friends to church next Sunday. So this idea of a crowd is coming to Jesus. And we see in Mark 3 what's happening when the crowd comes to Jesus. This is verse 11. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. So there's something weird that happens here. Um, this is, Mark is talking about Jesus' spiritual authority over demons. And as he's casting out these demons, these demons are acknowledging that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the Son of God, that he's the one that the world has been waiting for to save the world. They, they acknowledge who, that Jesus is God. And he is instructing these demons as they're coming out of the people not to say anything. And this is not the first time we're going to see this. We're going to see that, that Jesus tells his own disciples not to say anything about who he truly is. So one of the questions is, who is Jesus? What does it mean that the, the demons are saying that he is the son of God and why Jesus is telling them not to say that? So here's the deal. Jesus is not just a prophet. Jesus is the king of the universe. And even Colossians, the book of Colossians, helps us with more explicit language to help us understand who Jesus really is. This is who Jesus is, according to Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All things were created through him, and for him. And he, Jesus, is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. My friends, this is a picture of King Jesus. Jesus is God incarnate. He is the image of God. He created the world with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he holds the world together. And he holds the church together. And he's the fullness of God. And that means that if you want to know who God is, you look to Jesus. This is his power. But what's so interesting here is that even the demons know this. And the disciples will later confess this, and Jesus continually tells them not to say anything. So that makes no sense. Why did Jesus say that the demons should be silent about this fact? You'd think that as he's casting out these demons in power, that he would want them proclaiming so that everybody would know that he's the Messiah and he's the king. Because here's the deal. Jesus has a better plan. He told these demons, and he even told Peter in Mark 8 not to share who he was at first. And you see, everyone there was waiting in the first century for a Messiah to save them from Roman oppression. The Romans were oppressing the Jewish people, and they were really suffering. And what they wanted was someone to be their political savior, to be their cultural savior, to be their physical savior. They wanted to take up arms against the Romans, and they wanted somebody to lead them in the charge. And they were hoping that Jesus was going to be the one to do this. And so what they were doing 
was trying to narrow Jesus' salvation to the physical and the political. And so Jesus' public revelation of himself is so wild. It's bonkers. I want to talk about that for just a second. It was much more powerful than just seeing these demons who were being cast out saying that he's the son of God. It's even more powerful when Jesus reveals himself as Messiah than even Peter, his own apostle, saying it. Now, I want you to fast forward about three years in, uh, later, after as Jesus is, is doing his ministry, um, three years after this passage that we're reading in Mark chapter 3. It's the middle of the night. Jesus is in chains. He's at a secret trial in the middle of the night. He was falsely accused of heresy. He was beaten. He was on the eve of his suffering and death. And in Mark 14, this is what happens. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now we have known that Jesus is God since Mark 1, 1. So this is the very first verse in the entirety of Mark. It says, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We see here in chapter 3, the demons know it. We see in Mark 8 that the disciples know it. And this tension Mark is setting up in the book is saying, when is Jesus going to reveal himself as the Christ? And he keeps telling him, don't say anything, don't say anything, don't say anything. Because why? In chains, blindfolded, at the end of his life, in a false secret, unjust trial in the middle of the night, in front of his accusers who were lying about him. The God of the universe willingly submits to chains. He's preparing for his final suffering and death at the hands of the Romans, the very people that the Jewish nation was trying to rebel against. Jesus is going to let the Roman government murder him. And this is when Jesus publicly reveals he's the Christ. It's at that moment in chains that he acknowledges it, that he goes public with it on the eve of his death when he's in chains being beaten in the middle of the night. What in the world is he doing? You see, this is not the savior that the Jewish people were looking for. This is a savior in weakness, not strength. This is a savior in submission, not in power. This is a savior in persecution, not in authority. And we would have never chosen to do it this way. Because this is what marks our Savior. This is what marks the core of his power. His power and authority are ultimately revealed and ultimately realized in his suffering and rejection and death. Now that is stunning. The God of the universe, who we just read about in Colossians 1, says he's going to reveal himself as the Christ, as the Messiah, as God incarnate on the eve of his death to a people that were already lying about him. That is when he chooses to reveal himself as Messiah in the book of Mark. Because his ultimate power and authority was revealed and realized in his submission and suffering, rejection and death. You see, Jesus' power and title was revealed while still suffering. He's still walking in humility and weakness, not how you and I would have chosen. So we see the crowds are gathering around Jesus for all different types of reasons. And Jesus has this authority 
that he is waiting to reveal at the right time. And then we see he's inviting others to join him in his mission. Look with me at verse 11 to 12 of Mark 3. And he went up on the mountain and he called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So as I mentioned earlier, discipleship is literally just means following Jesus. It's someone who follows him, right? And so they come to follow Jesus. And Jesus is inviting them to come around with them. So there's a crowd of people. And then out of that crowd of people, he specially chooses 12. And he says that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So there's a three-step process to following Jesus as a disciple, as his chosen disciple. And one, it's that they might be with him, be sent out by him, and exercise his authority so that they might be with him. Remember, this is at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. And so these disciples would spend a significant amount of time with Jesus. And as I mentioned, I was teaching a class on discipleship, and this is one of the key elements of being a follower of Jesus. You spend time with him so they might be with him. And you and I, we need to be with Jesus. We need to spend time with him. We need to be intimate and abiding with him and reading the scriptures and in prayer and in personal time with him. And then it says that we might be sent out by him too. So Jesus sends his disciples out. And so you and I are sent out as missionaries. We are missionaries here in Clarksville. We're missionaries here in our cities, where we go to church, where we go to work, where we take our kids to school, where we recreate, where we work out, where we go eat. We're missionaries, all of us. All the time. The question is, are you a good missionary or are you a bad missionary? And I want us at Redeeming Hope to be good missionaries, to be sent out by him. And how can we be good missionaries? Is if we spend time with Jesus and so we look like him, we're sent out by him, and then we exercise his authority. So they may have authority to cast out demons. Jesus is delegating his authority to the disciples. And you know, Jesus has been doing this since the beginning of time. When Adam and Eve were created and placed in the garden, God said for them to tend the garden. The garden was wild. Now, God could have snapped his fingers and everything would have been perfect. But he chose to make a world in which Adam and Eve partnered with him and partnered with his authority and exercised his authority over the creation. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing thousands of years later as he's choosing his disciples. He says, be with me, be sent out by me. And then he gives them his authority. So we actually operate underneath the authority of King Jesus as you and I live as missionaries. So that means that as you and I have integrity, as we build our character, as we abide with Jesus, that leads to authority and power for God's kingdom, not ours. So our job is to advance God's kingdom. And Jesus ushered in the kingdom by his suffering and his submission and his death, which means that nothing that you and I go through cannot be redeemed by Christ's power and be used to advance Christ's kingdom. Like your suffering and pain and difficulty, your difficult job, your difficult relationships, your struggles in your marriage, those can all be redeemed to advance God's kingdom. And it can be redeemed to be underneath Christ's power because Jesus's power and salvation was revealed in weakness, which means you and I can walk in weakness and still experience God's power. 
You see, our power is rooted in our willingness to be weak and in a posture of trust to, to God and others. Because we operate in submission under King Jesus. As we come underneath the authority of a local church and serve with our friends, like that is where our power is made perfect. It's in weakness. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 12. So we see that we adopt and are empowered by Jesus so that no matter what position we're in, in weakness or strength, in success or failure, we can walk in his authority and by his power. Why? Because Jesus walked in weakness. You and I can walk in weakness and still experience his resurrection power. So disciples partner with King Jesus on mission underneath his authority. And finally, God's mission is both redemptive and mysterious. Mark 3, verse 16 to 19, it says, And Jesus appointed the twelve, Simon, who he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boangres, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Two points as it relates to this. God's mission is redemptive and it's mysterious. God's mission is redemptive. Now you see, back in the first century, you came to a rabbi and asked him if you could follow him in his way. Uh, every rabbi had a certain way of interpreting the scriptures and interpreting the Bible. And if you liked a rabbi and you were smart enough, you would say, hey, rabbi, can I follow you? And then the rabbi would give you a quiz. He'd ask you, well, where is this in the Pentateuch? And what is this law about this thing? And um, he would just give you all these quizzes. And if you pass the quizzes, you'd be able to follow the rabbi. And if you didn't pass the quizzes, you typically went into the family trade. Well, guess what? All of the disciples that Jesus chose didn't make the cut. They weren't qualified to be disciples of a rabbi. And it was unheard of in that culture for a rabbi to ever invite anyone to follow them. You would always go to the rabbi and say, can I please follow you? Get the privilege of following you and maybe being a rabbi like you one day. And yet Jesus reverses it. He goes to the people who are weak. He goes to the people who are fishermen, who are the uneducated, who didn't make the cut, who weren't already rabbis of somebody, disciples of another rabbi. He says, I want you to follow me. He gives them the invitation. And they don't need to pass a test. It's just his grace. And then we see these people who are invited in are like Simon, who's a fisherman, who's impulsive, angry. And yet Jesus renames him Peter, Petros, the rock, and empowers him to plant churches and do ministry. We see James, who endured immense suffering and persecution in Jerusalem and died as a martyr. We see John having this deep friendship and joy in Jesus. And then he writes the book of Revelation where he sees his friend 40 years later appear to him on the island of Patmos. We just finished reading through that as a church in our church-wide reading plan. And so we see these people who are uneducated or fishermen or didn't make the cut. So joining Jesus as a disciple is redemptive. But joining Jesus is also mysterious. Because his plans don't make sense to us. That's Judas Iscariot. And we know at the very beginning of the story, Mark gives us the answer to the puzzle. Who's going to betray Jesus at the end? Well, well, he tells us it was Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. He was a thief. 
It says elsewhere that he was stealing. That it would be a money collection that Jesus would give. Jesus would collect money from people um, as he would travel. And he kept a money purse so that he could give money to the poor and then also pay for his travels too. We read elsewhere in the scriptures that wealthy women supported Jesus in his missionary efforts. And so Judas was the one who kept the money purse and he was stealing from it. And Jesus knew about it and still allowed him to manage the money purse. And Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him and yet still allowed him to be a disciple. And he still washed Judas's feet in the upper room. And so this is so mysterious. Why does Jesus do this? And, and this is contrasted with Peter, right? So Judas betrayed Jesus. Peter betrayed Jesus three different times. The people who are closest to Jesus failed. And two of his disciples directly opposed him in the moment that he needed them the most. So some people, even those closest to Jesus failed. But it's not about how you fail. It's where you turn when you fail. That's what really makes the difference. Because Judas, um, he, he was so distraught. He showed no grace for himself and ended up hanging himself. But you see, Peter is distraught as well. But he engages again with Jesus after Jesus resurrects from the dead. And is forgiven and commissioned to carry the power of Jesus and starts and was the most one of the most influential leaders in the church's history. So even those who hurt you, I think this is you and I can see from this, as we are on mission together as a church, that even those who hurt and betray you, they can be redeemed like Peter was, or they can be used for God, God's redemptive purposes like Judas was. And so we see this idea of joining Jesus on mission. We have his power. And it's joining Jesus on mission is, is redemptive. And it's also mysterious. We don't quite understand how it all works. So as we think about these things, what's the action step? Well, if you're joining us and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you haven't submitted to his lordship and kingship over your life, then the question I have is, do you want power? Do you want redemption? Do you want restoration? Then your story can be redeemed under the power of unifying with, with the greatest story ever, the story of the gospel, the story of Jesus coming to save us. And when you meld your story into God's story, then you'll have a purpose that extends beyond yourself. And that actually gives you a purpose in the world as a missionary to invite other people into that story too. So how do you do that? You got to hear this message. You got to believe that it's true for you. You have to make Jesus Lord over your life. Obey him by making him Lord over your life. Let Jesus, King Jesus, be your king. Follow him with your life as a disciple and then go on him with mission. So you come to Jesus more than food or internal healing, but come because he's your king and he's your savior. Commit your life to him today. Now, if you have done that, I want to invite you to join Jesus on his mission. We've been talking about me going to Africa, teaching on missiology and church planning and discipleship and all these things. And really, I just look to Jesus in Mark 3. How do we join Jesus on mission? You got to be with him. This is abiding with him. This is reading the scriptures consistently. This is praying. This is being, being with other people, right? But being with Jesus specifically, abiding with Jesus, be with him. That's how you first join Jesus on mission is you got to look like Jesus, right? You want to look like him, which means you got to spend time with him. Secondly, you got to be sent out by him. 
And if you're not already reaching out to someone that doesn't yet know Jesus, then I encourage you, one person, one meal once a month. Just get once a month, you choose to have one meal with one person or couple that doesn't yet know Jesus. And if you don't have a person yet, schedule a day for a meal, schedule the meal out, and then pray every day that God would send you someone that doesn't yet know Jesus to have them in your house and share a meal with them. One person, one meal, once a month. So be with Jesus, abide. Be sent out by him. Actively engage with people that don't yet know Jesus. And then finally, be in community. This means coming to groups consistently. Man, I've talked to some people that haven't been to groups for months. They haven't been to gatherings for months. And guess what? Their life is worse. They're more depressed. They're struggling. They're anxious. They're distracted. They're complacent. This is what happens when you're not consistently in community. So you need to be in community. The disciples didn't go solo. Nobody is Lone Ranger Christian. Even when Jesus sends them out, we see in Luke 10, he sends them out two by two. We need to be sent out together. We need to be in groups and be in a group consistently and then come to our gatherings consistently. And um, we do this training called Gospel for Life. And if you have not yet went through it, I'd like to encourage you to reach out to me, Josh at RedeemingHope.org. We've done online groups with Gospel for Life and it's a grounding and rooting. It's an orientation into the gospel. And it's a little mini group that you can do together um, with us. We'd love to encourage you to do that. And we're actually starting it um, as this video is premiering on Sunday, we're starting it this Sunday afternoon to um, train people in what the gospel is. And so I want to end with this. Thank you for letting me share about Togo. Thank you for letting me share abbreviated text here today on Mark 3 and just joining Jesus on mission, following him. And um, I want to end with this commission of Jesus from Luke 10, verses 2 to 3. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. My friends, the harvest around us is plentiful. We need laborers to join us that are going to be faithful to share the gospel, to be faithful to abide with Jesus, to embody the character of a missionary. And then to be bold, to share your story and your faith. And then we need to pray, and then we need to go. So I want you to pray that God sends you people to partner with, to move out on mission underneath Jesus' authority. And then you need to go. You need to actually go meet people that don't know Jesus and build a friendship with them and share the gospel with them. Most of you have been trained in simple ways in our church. If you've been in our church, you've been trained in simple ways on how to share your faith. And so I want you to employ those things. And join Jesus on mission. Why? Because Jesus was on a mission for us. Jesus left the comfort of heaven. He left the comfort of a throne room to come down into a stable. We're going to celebrate that next month with Advent and with, with Easter. And so as Jesus entered into the world, so we're called to enter into the world around us to share this beautiful message of the truth of the gospel, that the work is finished. Jesus has done the work and he invites us to enter into his mission underneath his authority and power. Thank you so much for watching. You guys have a good day. Bye. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.